You're listening to Popcorn Ronin with Roger and Vince. Every two weeks, they give their thoughts on movies, TV, and anime. the ever-popular BBC series, or Elementary, which he's homes in modern-day New York City. He's physically strong, and his mental prowess is as fierce as we've ever seen it. Perhaps that's why the sight of Holmes losing his grasp over both of these is as powerful as it is in Mr. Holmes, the 2015 film by director Bill Condon starring Sir Ian McKellen in the titular role. Seeing Holmes struggling to remember even the simplest of things gave the character frailty, and that is not something which we're used to seeing. Certainly, we see the frailty that comes from his substance abuse. However, those are of his own intentions. This is different. This is what happens to all of us as we age, and that adds both relevance and a certain amount of recognition and fear. I've wanted to talk about this brilliant film since for seeing it, and I'm happy to be able to do so here now. It's been nominated for a number of awards, though sadly no Oscar nomination for McKellen, which I believe is an oversight that is incredibly dense. However, in so much as McKellen is brilliant in the film, Laura Linney is unbelievably powerful in a role that could have easily been lost in Ian's shadow. Milo Parker is exceptional as the young Roger, as his character changes before our very eyes, becoming both inquisitive and more forceful in how he interacts with his mother. The same goes for all of the other actors in this film, and it's because of the strength of their performances that McKellen is not only able to shine, but also simply to exist and be believable in the role. Now, it's quite obvious, as we've mentioned this time and time again now for months, how much I adored this film. Before we even get started, what were your thoughts about it? It really made me look at the Sherlock Holmes mythos in a different light. Like I now look at him almost as like a superhero character where obviously he has these fantastic abilities beyond, you know, mere mortals, if you will. And he's been largely infallible. Like you said, he has his negative attributes, but they're not really hindrances to him, if you will. Like, like, yeah, his uh, his drug use, you know, that's like you said, that's his own decision. That's you know, almost his his way of you know unlocking his potential, if you will, and his social awkwardness. That's it's never really been a problem for him. It makes the stories interesting, but it doesn't make Holmes himself more interesting. So, what this did was it took that you know Superman esque character, that infallible great detective, and finally made him human, which really changed a lot of the ways I perceive the Sherlock Holmes character. What it also did, I found, is it made him so much more relatable to us Mm -hmm. because of all of these issues and because he himself sees his failings. Had it been the stoic Holmes who is never wrong, 
who is all right with the choices he makes, even when they are quite obviously wrong choices, such as the obvious drug abuse and things like that. Whereas this is, he, he understands what is going on and he accepts it. And it is very powerful because again, it's, it's taking this character, which as you just said, it's larger than life that is infallible. And all of a sudden, because he himself accepts all of these things that are going wrong, it's certainly trying to do things to negate what is happening, but accepts that, yeah, these are, this is a reality of his life right now. And that really gives it a lot more weight. And suddenly his failings are more easy to see as well. Quite obviously when you see the, the case, which this all revolves around, the the ending where you finally get the scene which shows what actually happened. And we'll get to that obviously later, but when you get there and you could see how in the moment he didn't see how he failed her. Mm-hmm. But his, in remembering his it. Superpower of infallibility, you know, even eventually was his own downfall. Yeah. And so he he can recognize it later. So that's that's a big thing, and it does help to cement that character as far more human than he mm-hmm. ever was. So then, when you when you then see his relationships, especially with his housekeeper as well as her son Roger, and how it quickly changes, despite the housekeeper's obvious disdain for him, the relationship with the boy is so dramatic and is exactly what he needs to be able to jog his memory and to feel alive again. And so there's never a point, even though in, and it, and that relationship does really, it, it kind of changes very dramatically, very, very early in the film. Well, because at first, you know, we see it's Holmes having an effect on Roger and it's not until, later on in the film that we see that it's it's more of a two-way relationship and and the way that grows and that constant back and forth between the two of them making them both stronger as the movie goes on was was great to see yeah well see i quite literally just finished watching it again before we're recording now because it's been months since i've seen it i i wanted to talk about this again months ago we just never got the chance so i thought i need to watch this again and the intention was, of course, watch, take notes, which I did take some, but I got sucked into the movie yet yeah, again. Because, it's, imp- it's almost impossible. Yeah, it is. And what surprised me is that, again, in watching it again, very, very early in the show, when he gets back to his home in the country and Roger's in the house playing and the housekeeper says, you know, you're not allowed in here. Get out kind of thing. So you know right off the bat that prior to his trip to Japan, the relationship between he and Roger was far different. Mm -hmm. And then it's really not long after that in terms of the scenes when they they take place that all of a sudden he is talking to him a little bit more about the bees. And, And the catalyst, and it makes sense because you get that that moment where he's going into his study and he, again, being Holmes, sees things that we don't see and he sees the plaster on the stairs and he knows that the boy's been up there. And when he confronts him about it, 
you find out that the boy has this keen interest in the case that he is reworking and, and, and trying to write about. And so it's that immediate bond then, because he suddenly understands this boy is a lot smarter than I thought. And also, I'm it, while it's never said, it's like that relationship with Watson almost kind of thing. So it's it's it he replaced in some manner Watson for him to be able to bounce these ideas off of him and work together on this case. And I found that very profound. It was again, it was very well done. And like you said at the beginning, so much of that goes to the credit of the young actor Milo Parker. Like, oh my he, god, <laughs> he showed so much depth and range in his performance that. I, I mean, I don't know, how old was the kid when this movie was made? I don't know. I honestly but pretty I don't know. darn young. Yeah, he was. Yeah, yeah. And that's the thing too is we've seen a lot of movies with kids, and as much as I love children, <laughs> a lot of times they're simply not good actors. They might look like they're good for the role or whatever, but they're kids. You don't expect them to be good yeah, he's actors. Eleven years old when this movie was filmed. This kid is exceptional, like just amazing, especially when you follow his his story arc in the in the movie and you come to find out again that he is he's a lot smarter than his parents, either of his parents ever were. And so he's a lot more inquisitive. He's going to be able to do things that that she hasn't been able to do or, or to give him. And that's why he has that bond with Holmes that makes sense. And, and when you get to even like the scenes where he's putting his mother down in front of Holmes and, mm-hmm. and saying she can't read and you get in all these moments where like that kid can act. It was just brilliant and entirely believable. So yeah, it was great. Well, more like interesting to me where, where the bits where he was emulating the relationship with his father that he had no real recollection of. And he was just piecing it together from bits of evidence, you know, know, things his mother had said, photographs. And that's such a Holmes thing to do to pretend to be a normal person when essentially you're just analyzing evidence that that drew a parallel between the two of them better than anything else. I think when they're walking at that point, after they'd gone for their swim, and he's talking and Holmes is saying he's not always going to be there. He's 93. And the kid is saying he had an uncle that lived to be at, what was it? I think 107, he said. Mm-hmm. And Holmes Something is saying, like well, see, what are the odds that I'm going to live to be that old as well? And he says, well, I didn't know him that well. And he walks off. <laughs> and it was such a great line. And Holmes laughs, but I swear to God, in watching it again, I think that laugh was from McKellen, not from Holmes. <laughs> it just was just this appreciation of this young, gifted actor. The beginning of the movie is, again, there, there's so many things that I adored about the film. And some of that, well, a lot of it, I mean, movies are subjective, of course, has to do with the type of film that I like and my appreciation for pacing and how it's done as well. And like this film has been overly very well reviewed but then the fan reviews aren't necessarily as high and that made sense because mm-hmm. the film is not fast paced at all and well, it's not only that it's not it's not a sherlock holmes you know 
story, if you will. It's not what a lot of fans would expect going into a Holmes movie. Now, you know, there are plenty of people who can appreciate the difference, but I can also see, you know, how fans can be. If it's not exactly what they've gotten before, they don't want it. Well, the thing, too, is that, I mean, it's coming off of the success of, granted, they're they're older now, but obviously the... Robert Downey Jr. Yeah, it's still the more modern interpretation. Way, way more action. The Sherlock shows are still very fast-paced for the most part. Mm -hmm. Brilliant, but still very fast-paced. And then, again, for fans of Elementary, there's more drama in there, but there's still, the story's pretty tightly knit, whereas this is far slower. And what was funny is that because there are constant references throughout the show that talk about how... Watson changed Sherlock for the stories to make it more palatable for audiences. And what it felt like is that the other films, the other TV shows are kind of like a Watson interpretation, whereas Mm -hmm. this is Sherlock telling his story, which is what he said as well when he was saying, like, if you were to write a, a story about himself, about one of his cases, it would get rid of a lot of the 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 things that Sherlock or that Watson invented to make him more palatable again for yeah, the it, audience. Yeah, it's really the best word. So so yeah, so when you go in expecting that, it really changes how you see the film and it changes how information is given to you throughout the film. That's a, a mainstay of any mystery story. But when you're looking at a mystery where it's a very slow build and everything, sometimes it's something as simple as a a single line or a look or whatever. And the moment you see Holmes on the train at the very beginning and he's talking to that kid who thinks he's tapping at the bee, but it's a wasp. The the way he looks at the kid, the way he acts, his mannerism. Not only did McKellen portray a 93-year-old Holmes in 1947 brilliantly it's just in that simple look you see the disdain he has for humanity and the loneliness that he kind of feels that he's that he's taken ownership of that he doesn't fit into society as well and that's a very large part of what the entire movie is about, be it himself or the woman that he's investigating. And so when you see it right from the beginning, again, in watching the movie again, you pick up on these little things where it's like, again, just that one little scene so perfectly encapsulates what Holmes represents then for the rest of the movie. Until such time as he kind of breaks through some of that at the end, which, again, brilliant storytelling, just so well done. And you look back at that scene and how much of that was Holmes just kind of playing a character because we know, you know, the 93-year-old Holmes isn't really the same guy that we've we've seen previously. So we see him acting in such a Holmesian fashion in that early scene. It You, you kind of look back on it, at least especially on a second viewing of it was almost kind of a theater for me. Explain. It's... Just in his willingness to, you know, show off, if you will, that we even see like later on when uh, I keep wanting to call him Milo, Roger, (laughs) wants him to, you know, do the Holmes thing and he's so reluctant to do it. So, 
maybe it was due to the fact that it was, you know, bees and wasps, which were so much of his life at that point. But it, it just seemed, I don't want to say out of character because it was very in character, but out of the way that particular character was acting at that point in time. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of that where, and, and again, it's one of those where I appreciated it a lot more, not to say I didn't upon first viewing, but watching it again, you pick up on so many different things. And when you know going in how this case was the reason why he stopped being a detective and how he felt he had failed her and then what that did to him as a man from going forward, you see all that in the flashbacks then. And that's the other thing about this movie that I really loved is how it handled the flashbacks because it's not just handling the flashbacks from one storyline. Mm-hmm. It's handling several flashbacks. The Even just the trip that he took to Japan, which was to go get an herb that could help him with his senility, even just the scene with him getting that herb from Japan, there's so much more that happened there. And you, you see that immediately not just because a it's it's Hiroshima almost immediately after the war and you see the horrific results of that bomb being dropped and it's so well handled because as much as it horrifies him and shocks him to the core of his being you see so many other people including um Tamiki Yumazaki who's played brilliantly by, uh, what's his name? Hiroyuki Sanada. Uh, he just, by that point, it's common stay. And it's just like, he just kind of ushers him along. And, and whether it was at the, the train station or once they get to the bombed out forest that he goes to, it's, it shows the difference in how the people who have been living there are dealing with it versus, somebody who is seeing it for the first time and is is shocked kind of thing. So you have that, plus the entire story of why Imazaki wanted to, to meet him and talk to him, which that in and of itself was a brilliant story. Mm-hmm. So very well written and, again, so very well acted. And then you've got the flashbacks going back even further to that last case. And McKellen is just as believable in that Holmes from over 35 years ago versus the 93-year-old Holmes. You still see Holmes in each, but you can see how much more broken and frail he is later on as opposed to earlier on. If it wasn't for those flashback scenes with the younger Holmes, I'd be really worried about Ian McKellen right now (laughs) because he was so believable as the aged Holmes. It was... It was creepy at points. Oh, yeah. There are scenes where he is so completely lost. When he is on the the bed with the doctor, and the doctor is telling him to be careful about this. Again, the plant's called a prickly ash. And be careful with that. And Holmes is saying, why? Because of side effects? And he's saying, no, because it might give you hope. The look Oof. on McKellen's face... Again, to be able to portray that so accurately that a look hits you square in the chest like that, just a look, nothing said, 
is amazing. Just amazing. And he's like that throughout. When you are looking at the older scenes, the, the flashbacks to when he is younger, while he is older, and because it was not long after Watson had left, Watson had gotten married and left, so he's on his own. But he's still, he's not that old, and he's still got his faculties. He's able to walk with a light step kind of thing. And then the shift, because he's remembering these, when you see him, whether he's crushed and just sitting in his chair or trying to remember, or he's writing names of people on the cuffs of his shirt so that he can remember who he's talking to at any given moment, including later on Roger. Like, profound profound moments of of depth that McKellen pulls off so well. And that is, again, why I, I was disappointed he wasn't nominated for this role because it was beginning to end spot on. And also because we've seen so much of him as these larger-than-life characters, you know, Magneto yeah. and Gandalf. Like, that's been the, the bulk of his, at least, film career over the last several years. To see him back in one of these smaller roles was, at times, shocking. <laughs> like, it was like, oh, yeah. Like, we, we forget how phenomenal of an actor Ian oh, McKellen yeah. can be. Because, you know, he's cool as Magneto. He's cool as Gandalf. But he doesn't really get to flex his acting muscles as much in those roles. And seeing him back in this smaller film was such a treat. Yeah, well, it made me think very much of Gods and Monsters, which was the last time Condon and McKellen worked together kind of thing. And I haven't seen that movie in a bloody long time, and I would like to watch it again because I do recall when I saw it that, again, it was another one of those brilliant movies that I adored immediately, that it was so well done. See, I've actually never seen it, but when I was you know researching this episode and read about it, like that's yeah. such a movie I would love, so I need to track that one down. Oh, yeah. It's an amazing show. And again, and that's going by memory. I need to watch it again. But I remember after we'd watch it, Karen and I were just floored. And it was like, holy crap. Like, just just a phenomenal movie. So here again, you're getting a variety of... Again, it's, it's a juggling act where you're getting the the case that's being actively worked on in the past flashbacks you're getting the story that is being written by Holmes and with Roger's assistance to be able to figure out what in fact happened as well as the side story with what happened in Japan the the way that it was written as well and the reason why he's trying to finish this case I keep going back to how, again, there's so few terms I should have written more, <laughs> gone through my thesaurus. It's so, <laughs> it's so brilliantly done because you have to appreciate, and it's it's kind of said earlier on, and then it, it, it builds, that this was the case that broke him. Mm-hmm. But you don't know why. And so you, you don't quite understand what could break this man? Now, that what that relies on is your understanding of Holmes. You don't need that going in. But if you understand the character that he is, whether you have read the novels or the stories, whether you have watched any of the shows pretty much, you understand that for anything to break him, it wouldn't be something that has to do, or you would think, with a relationship with a 
person. Mm-hmm. You would think that, that it would have to be something that's logic based. That's that's a, a, again a brilliant little interaction between him and Roger, where he's talking about various emotions, and the kid is asking him if if it gets to him and all that, and he's saying no, and he doesn't. Those are far too common. Logic is a lot less common, and that's what he chooses to live his life by those those set of rules and and whatnot. Well, so then, going into going into the story. You know, we think that the only thing that could finally defeat Sherlock would be, you know, age and his failing health. So the revelation that, no, it was something on the job that he failed with that that instantly made things so much more interesting. And what you again, if you know the character, you assume, OK, it must mean he never solved it then. There has to be a, mm-hmm. uh, it's that riddle or that puzzle it, that he never It's something never he, was start, he was already starting to lose his touch was yeah. like how I was looking at it. Like yeah. he made a mistake or something. Exactly. But you don't think that it's going to be something as profound as a human interaction, much less the results of which that he blames himself for. So it kind of, for, for a true Holmes fan, it sets you up which is the the mark of a good mystery as well kind of thing, as long as it does so in a believable way. And it does because you you keep thinking it must be that he just, he he might have screwed up or that he simply didn't figure it out or didn't figure it out in time necessarily. So there's Mm -hmm. a lot of possibilities there because when you're seeing him in those flashbacks, especially when he's following the woman in question around, he's still in charge. He knows what's going on. He's picking up on things in typical Holmes fashion before we even as the audience have picked up on it. And there's little lines every once in a while that are tossed out as a means of allowing us to keep up with it. The same as when she's standing at the window looking and he's saying, how nice of you to wait or along those lines kind of things. So he is still in charge. So then the longer this progresses, because even just those scene flash back and forth, a number of times it's not all just in one scene because again, he's, he's fighting with his memory to remember. So you're almost there. And then it flashes back to present tense. Well, for him, present tense in 47 and he's the memory's lost. And, and it's, I thought that that was really well handled as well because it makes you appreciate how fleeting his memories are. So when he, when, when it flashes back forward, it's because he, damn it, he had it, but it's gone. And again, another brilliant use of flashbacks. See, it's not like what we usually see in a well-done flashback where, you know, they time things so that the flashback reveals something about, you know, the modern story and whatnot. It's it's not like that. It's just revealing more of itself. But like you said, the way it's handled with it makes sense. Like, it's not like it, it the way it cuts off and the places where, like, it picks back up again was so great. And I also loved how we had the juxtaposition between Holmes's recollection of it and the Watson version, which was of course, much more stereotypically a Sherlock Holmes story with the twists and the turns and the revelations and seeing that difference was also really cool. That's something that you get much later on when he is really not doing well. And, and Rogers found the woman's glove in question in that cabinet. And then you're again, until it's explained, you're like, okay, well, his memory obviously failed him. He didn't realize he still had the glove. It could have helped with remembering what was going on and whatnot, especially because of the, the perfume on it, which, again, 
your sense of smell is your most powerful in terms of remembering things. So all of these things could have helped him. And it's, it's, it's nice how he's saying too, how none of those, including the, all of the, the prickly ash that he, he's tried and everything, nothing is helping him remember. What is helping him remember is Roger and working through it together. And so then when, he starts to remember that cabinet and that it was Watson's. And then you get the flashback explaining after the failure of the case, how Watson came back and helped get him back on his feet, which is completely, once again, believable for those who understand the Sherlock character and how much he relies on Watson and whatnot, because otherwise he's just got this self-destructive pattern that sometimes kicks in. So, and then finding out how the story was written, by Watson with a far nicer ending to make sense of it and to make him feel better about his role in it. Again, very, very well done. And it's once he is, he's waking up from that dream. And in that dream, the the woman says that one line and he's wondering, when did you say that? I, I don't remember that. And I thought, that, oh God, I rewind and watch that a few times. It was so well done. And then the real memory of what happened with her kicks in again, phenomenal storytelling, taking into consideration a lot of different time frames, and yet bringing it all to a point where it, it not only makes sense, but you can appreciate how, how much of an impact that would have had on the man, even though he was someone who, by his own admission, did either didn't need people or kept himself away from others, lived in this world of loneliness, and meeting somebody else like that, and not being able to understand how profound that was in the moment, but in remembering, understanding how much of an impact it had, not just on his life, but obviously the last few moments of her life. Holy crap. (laughs) Like, oh my God. Beautifully done. Just beautifully done and profound enough to, again, hit you square in the chest. And it it gives you the feeling of, yeah, that's what would have, you know, been it for him. Yeah. Like, it, it, his realization that, you know, without Watson there to be, you know, his human side, he can't do this job anymore. I think it goes beyond that even. Oh, it, it does, of course. But, I mean, that the, looking at it from the Holmes point of view uh, of the, the purely analytical bits of it, he's like, he, he now realizes that he's missing a piece of what made him successful. So he might as well just retire. And again, I think there's so much more than that. Okay. I, 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 I think I'm it, not disagreeing. Yeah, I'm yeah. just kind of trying to boil it down in, in the most Holmes type way I can. Yeah. See, I don't, I don't know that I agree because I don't know that it would have made a difference had Holmes even, or not Holmes, had Watson even been there for that. I think that it was needed to get him back on his feet and be able to survive kind of thing mm-hmm. without sinking into a depression that w- and, and abuse, substance abuse that would have ruined him, obviously. And he needed that. But I don't think that even had Watson stuck around afterwards, I don't, I think that this was done 
and presented in such a profound manner that there was no recovering from this. There was no going back to who he used to be. Watson or no, that was it. He was done. And it broke him. And that's how I interpreted it. And it it really then lent, lent a lot more credence to everything that he is moving forward. He's not just a grumpy old man because that's how old men become. He's He's got his reasons and they make a lot of sense and they would crush someone. So the idea of him becoming this hermit for 35 years after the end of that case, mm-hmm. for someone who had never had that level of intimacy with another person, even just that, that one moment with that woman was enough that he could have shared the rest of his life with someone. And like he said too, been lonely together and then she killed himself. So it wasn't just the, the pain and regret of not having done enough to save her. But I think also of him then perhaps having had somebody and those 35 years having been quite different than what they wound up being. That's, that's certainly, you know, an, a valid way to look at yeah. it. I, well, I it could be any way you want. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, it's such a complex character piece. I mean, I don't think there is any one true interpretation. And when you're talking about, again, complex, when you look at the story of Ms. Monroe, his housekeeper, holy crap. Here is a woman that, again, just could have been window dressing. But Laura Linney played her so well that throughout much of the story, you see that disdain in her eyes that she has for him. And especially as Roger gets closer to him, mm-hmm. because she lost her husband in the war and because Roger doesn't even remember his father and then feeling like Holmes is slowly stealing him from her, not just because of he's a male figure, but also because of that level of intelligence that he has and the boy also obviously has that she's losing her grip on the one thing that she really needs. And this is a hard woman when you're seeing her in different scenes. And so you see that growth of character for her as well, leading up to the obvious um, wasp attack on Roger, which, holy crap, when you see her and Holmes arguing by, by the, the, uh, the bees' um, nests and, and the wasp nests and the bees, and she's about to burn it all down, and, and she is standing toe-to-toe with such an amazing actor. And, I mean, in the scene, Holmes is losing it finally admitting to caring so much for the boy. And here she is trying to let out all of this rage that she has at not just of what has happened to her child, but also what is happening with the little feeling that she's losing him to homes and all these other things. And it was like, shit, like, and, and leading into that pivotal scene where they're both sitting, waiting for Roger to come out of the coma when they're in a hospital too. And he's telling her, how, why he's made choices the way he has, which by then has pretty much been explained. And then how he's, how he felt he made the wrong one because he was still, he was full of fear and, and, and he couldn't just ask this woman to stay with him. And he winds up doing that with, with, uh, with Miss Moreau. And it was like, holy shit. 
Like just again, the character of Roger obviously shines in this as his home, but the, the the housekeeper was equally brilliant in every scene she was in. She did a, a great job of putting forth to the audience that her distaste wasn't with Holmes himself as a person because, I mean, that's a very easy thing to do, but you also can't work for him for as long as she has without coming to terms with that. Her issues were what he represented to her and her family structure. It wasn't the man itself. It could have been, I mean, anybody. It just happened that Holmes was in that situation, and Holmes was so relatable to Roger to be the catalyst for that, but it was the situation itself and the 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 loss of the only person left in her life that was the driving force. It wasn't, you know, Holmes being Holmes. Yep. Yeah. No, I agree. The, um, the final scene where you see him laying down the rocks as he had seen at the site of the bombing where people laying rocks for, for loved ones that they had lost. And you have to remember at this point, he's 93 years old. There's been a lot of people in his life mm-hmm. who are gone now, and he's laying down the stones for for each of them. And, of course, Roger comes by, and they have their little discussion and whatnot. But, again, it's it was so profound. In And if you've allowed yourself to really get invested, not just in the movie, but especially in the character, by that point... If your eyes aren't watering even just a little bit, there's something wrong with you. <laughs> like it was, I felt that well done. Mm-hmm. And the, the relationship with Monroe and Roger that we see forming over the course of the film. Yeah. I mean, it, it it showed the change in Sherlock, but I, I think for me, really what kind of hammered the point home was the the stuff with Umazaki. Yes. How, I mean, for so much of the film, it was kind of like a side story, but... That scene at the end where he's writing the letter to Umazaki, like correcting himself and explaining what really went on with his father, that was the moment for me that finally hammered. Like it took 93 years, but Holmes had finally changed, finally become, you know, a person. Well, you 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 especially see how he changed in that some of what he's writing even is mm-hmm. he's making it up to make him feel better about his father as well. So they say with with the stuff with Umazaki, because it was so sparse throughout the film, like if you just take those scenes on their own, like it really like it's bullet points of Holmes's journey through his memory and his his life. Yeah. Yeah. So, again, brilliant film. I don't know if you have any parting thoughts or anything that we didn't touch on that you'd like to. I think we've said about everything there is to say. Yeah, there was uh, obviously there's a ton more. I I don't want to go into specifics because of the type well, of film that it is. Too much more, and the discussion will be longer than the movie. <laughs> yeah, well, there is that. But no, I, I I don't want to because again, it is somewhat of a mystery, and it is something that go into it not knowing everything about it, and you will be able to appreciate it. That said, going go into it again afterwards for a second viewing, and you'll appreciate it that much more. Mm-hmm. So that is going to wrap it up for this long-awaited episode. (laughs) We will not wait this long for our next one, but this was an important one and it had to be done because this was just such a phenomenal film that came out at a time where, at least for myself, was watching a lot more action films that were big and there were, you know, a lot more of the superhero stuff and whatnot. This was a quiet, brilliantly written and acted and directed film that in every regard 
was a joy to watch. I encourage everyone to check it out. And with that, you can find the show notes at Popcorn Ronin. You can find us on iTunes and Stitcher as well, of course. And if you have any suggestions for movies that you would like us to tackle, go ahead and leave us a comment on the site. With that, we'll see you soon. For more TV, movie, and anime reviews, please make certain to stop by popcornronin.com and leave the guys your thoughts in the comments. If you'd like to hear more from Roger and Vince, check out their Comic Book Informer podcast, as well as For the Lore, a weekly gaming podcast. And lastly, thanks to Manelli Jamal for the show's theme music. We encourage everyone to check out his site, manellijamal.com, or find him on iTunes and help support this incredible musician by picking up his CDs.